All right, well, uh, so this morning is going to be a, a little different. Uh, I thought it would be good on the day of our annual business meeting to kind of give a, an update just on the state of the church and um, where we've been and, and where we are going. And I'm actually going to do that over two weeks, this week and next week. And, um, and so what I want to do is just kind of give a broad overview and help us understand kind of um, a lot of us in this, in, in this church right now are, are newer. You're, you've come in the last year and, and so you may wonder, okay, well, I, I, I get that we're supposed to be God's family on mission and, and or I've heard that, or maybe you haven't even heard that, and you're just trying to figure out how does this all fit together. Um, and, and so I thought it'd be good for us to take a couple of weeks to just revisit that, and then to also um, just celebrate what God has done, and look forward to um, what our, our plans are uh, for, the, for the coming year. So let's, as we jump into that, let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray that, uh, that you would help us to set our eyes on you, that we would, um, God, I pray we would be encouraged this morning. I pray that we would, uh, that our hearts would be stirred with a passion for you, that we would realize that whatever has happened, even as we've looked back over the last year in our own lives, but then also as a church family, that we would just be blown away by your kindness and your goodness God, I pray that you would communicate the things that you want communicated this morning, that you, would, um, that you would take my feeble words and that they would, um, that you would translate them, Holy Spirit, in a way that uh, is glorifying to you and encouraging to our hearts. I pray that we would not remain unchanged this morning, but that this morning would serve as a, a spark, that we would be excited and rejoice in all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you have promised to continue to do for all eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when I interviewed here four years ago, um, my wife, uh, my wife is often a, a great uh, help in interview processes because I think a lot of times people, by getting to know her, um, understand me a little bit better. So if you know my wife, some of you, like, if you meet me, you may think, ah, I don't know. But then you meet my wife, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, you probably know people like that, right? Where you're like, you meet one person, and you're like, ah, they're kind of strange. And then you meet their spouse, you know, or, you know, a really good friend that vouches for them. And you're like, okay, well, if you say they're fine, then I guess, you know, they're fine. And um, one of the things I know my wife said over and over again to people who asked her is she said, you need to understand that my husband is a bit of a pusher. He just pushes and pushes and pushes. And, and she said, like, one of the things that she has said over the years is that the thing, one of the things she loves most about me is also the thing that drives her the craziest, which is I just keep pushing. I don't like settling. I don't like just sitting and being like, ah, we're doing pretty good. All right, let's just hang out for a while. Like, I just can't. And the reason I can't, and I realize that is true about me. And if you've been here very long, you know that that is true about me. But I wanted to share, like, just a little bit about where that comes from. Because I think it's, um, there's no question that sin gets in there and, and drives me in ways that are not Christ-honoring. But, but at the core, in the redeemed version of that, it's something that is, is, I think is 
all of us are called to have a holy kind of unrest with how things are because we know that God is building towards something. We know that this is not um, all there is. And for me, it really comes from when, when I remember reading the book of Acts for the first time with just real um, like open eyes. I'd heard about it, I'd read it, I'd read through it at different times or whatever. But when I read through the book of Acts and saw the story of the early church, I thought, oh, why is my experience with church not that? I just marveled at how they, they loved one another and how they served one another and how they rejoiced in the midst of sufferings and how they proclaimed the gospel and how um, miraculous signs and wonders were being done and how people were being added to their number day by day. And I just craved that and wanted that and wanted to be a part of that. And in short, that's, that's why I'm a pastor. That's why I, I've done church planting in the past, why I've been a missionary, is because I just, my life is driven by the desire to say, okay, God, you have told us what we can be together, and I don't want to settle for less than that. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, well, you know, I did church pretty well. I want to look back on my life and say, oh, God, how did you do that? And I want us together to do that. And I've seen that. And that's one of the things that drew me to this church is I saw sparks of that. And in every corner, I saw people who were living that out and wanting to do that more and more. I saw a potential in an area that is just clouded and shrouded in, in darkness for, for this church to be a light in this area and to bring transformation to, to a lost and hurting world right here. And so that's what fires me up on a weekly basis. And so when we look at the book of Acts, I, I, I hope that I would encourage you to read the book of Acts also and, and ask some hard questions and say, does this, does, this, um, does, does this describe my experience in the church? Does this ex describe who, who I see us as being? And I, and I say not only in Acts, but also in, in, throughout the New Testament, all the letters written to the early church, does this, does this describe us? And so often we just kind of make excuses and we say, well, that was first century. That wasn't, you know, that's not really, that's not really relevant anymore. That was a long time ago. There are a lot of differences there. But yeah, but God hasn't changed. His spirit hasn't changed. What he's doing in the lives of people bringing dead hearts alive and, and, and calling them to this family and calling them to live this out, that hasn't changed at all. There's a famous passage in, in Acts 2, and for many of you, this is probably, you've, you've heard this a million times, but just, just hear it. And in the description of the early church, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want that. 
I think the majority of you want that. And I would just submit that you and me and those of us sitting around you often read something like that and say, well, that would be nice. But that's just not realistic. And someday, maybe in heaven, we'll experience that. But don't forget, these are real people living on the actual planet Earth. People who were struggling to to believe and who dealt with tragedy in their lives and dealt with all kinds of stresses. And they were living in this way. Regular, ordinary people like you and me. But filled with the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. And the question that all of us in ministry leadership and in the churches have to ask is we have to say, okay, well, what, what is it about that? Like, if that's what we're called to pursue, if that's who we're called to be, what, is, what does that look like? And there's been all kinds of debates. I, I, you know, I, many of you know that I planted house churches in Denver, and there are many people in the house church camp that will say, well, look, they, they met in houses, so that's, that's what we have to do. That's the key. And other people look at it and they say, well, they, they met daily, and so we need to meet daily. And other people, you know, they look at just different things and they start trying to break it down into some kind of formula to say, well, if we do X, Y, and Z, then that, that'll look like that. But I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. In their book, The, the Trellis and the Vine, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne help the church by distinguishing between the biblical calling of the church and the structure of the church. So they call the biblically mandated work or the, or the fruit or the life of the church um, kind of characterized or, or summed up by the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself with the great commission of go therefore make disciples of all nations. And, and that is, is considered the life of the church and they call that the vine. And they would say, that's why the, the church exists. Like, that's what we want to see happen, is we want to see life, and we want to see growth of this vine. And they separate that from what they call the trellis, which is the structures and the systems that support the growth of the vine. And so they would say that these, these trellises are important in that they support the growth, they encourage the growth of the vine. Because they would say a vine without a trellis collapses on itself But a trellis without a vine is just decoration. It serves no purpose. There is no life. Our desire and what we see constantly through the landscape, especially in the Western church, are more and more churches that become so fascinated with the trellis that they completely ignore the vine. And is why... We have thousands and thousands of churches closing every year. Churches that often long ago forgot what the vine was and put all of their attention into the trellis. To kind of fill out that picture a little bit more, picture walking into a greenhouse. Just think about it. Like if you've ever walked into a greenhouse, what's the, what's the first thing you notice? You might, if you're like me, the first thing I notice when I walk into a greenhouse is it's hot in here. Okay, I don't like that. Like, my, you know, people that go into the arboretum or am I, I don't even say that word right. I don't know. Any of the things where plants grow, like this is not my area of expertise. But I walk in those things and it's always like, yeah, it's so muggy in here and so hot. 
And, you, and, and so then you start to look around and maybe you see plants growing and, and, they're, and they're beautiful. And, and then you see people kind of milling around and you, people that are kind of checking on certain plants and they're over here looking at something and they seem to be adding something to the soil over here and they're building um, support structures over here or whatever, but they're all, there's kind of activity in there. But the whole point, the reason it all exists is because of the plants. Like the greenhouse isn't set. They don't set the temperature in the greenhouse for my comfort, right? I walk in there and I say, this is hot and humid. I don't like it. And if I say that to somebody who works there, their response would be, right, this doesn't exist for you. It exists for the plants. They like this temperature. They like this humidity. This is good for them. And when people are working, walking around and working and caring for the plants, that's, that's their whole point. That's why they exist. That's why they're there. That's why they spend their time fertilizing and pruning and watching. It's all for the growth of the plant. And that's, in short, what I want us to think about when we think about the church. Is we need to be all about the growth of that vine. All about the growth of our hearts towards the great commandment and the great commission. And everything we do should be about that. And I want to take that picture and just relate it to uh, who we are as a church and how we've seen that happen and celebrate a little bit of how we've seen that happen over the last year. And then, and then next, next week, I want to talk about um, how we're going to specifically kind of focus, what are areas of focus that we want to look forward to in the next year. But it all starts with the vine, why we exist, who we are, our identity. And we summarize that here with the statement of God's family on mission. And there's a lot to unpack in that, and I'm not going to do all of it, but I just want to give kind of the overview just as a reminder that this should be ringing in our heads. And if you're sitting there saying, oh yeah, I've heard this before, I know where you're going with this, good. That means we're doing it right, okay? But if you're not, if you're sitting there going, okay, I haven't heard this before, well, then, then, then this is, you make sure that you pay attention because this is why we exist. We exist to grow in our understanding that we are God's. When we say God's family on mission, it's God apostrophe S. We belong to God. You were created by God and for God. We exist for him. We belong to him. So that means we obey him. We, we belong to him. We, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. If there's anything that kicks against a, a, an American ideal, it is that. Because we love autonomy, we love individualism, I am my own person. And the Bible says, if you belong to Christ, you are not your own. And so we want to grow a love for that and understanding why that is so beautiful to belong to Christ. Paul says in in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's saying, I don't know, I don't exist as Paul anymore. The old Paul is gone. Like I have been crucified with Christ. I have participated in his death and now I've been raised to life with him. And the life I now have, I have in him. 
And he says, why is that such good news? It's good news because this is the God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And Paul, you know, in, in Galatians, he builds this whole argument of saying, look, you're a slave to something. Anybody who thinks that they are fully autonomous is fooling themselves. No human being is fully autonomous. No human being is fully in control of their own lives. How many times this week have you been reminded, I am not God? How many times? It's constant, right? And so Paul says, right, we all get that. You aren't, you actually aren't, that's a, it's all a mirage. It's, 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 it's foolishness to think that you could actually exist autonomously on your own, independently, without the need for anything else. You are desperately dependent on the culture and the world around you. And what Paul is saying is you die to those things that, that can't fulfill you and you get raised to life with Christ. And now instead of being a bondservant or a slave to sin and your desires and the wind the people around you, you're now a slave to Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. That's better. That is so much better. And we want to, we want to see people grow in that identity. We want to see people taking radical steps of obedience, people coming to faith, abandoning their old way of life. And we've seen some of that over the past year, haven't we? Like we've seen that. We saw uh, several people get baptized worship in the park, people just coming forward. And I always love, and my favorite still about that day was that we had a bunch of people who had planned on getting baptized who were all standing there. And I looked at them and I said, who's first? And three rows back is a person who wasn't planning on getting baptized and says, I'm first. Yes. People who just say, I, I, that's it, Christ, I'm in. I don't have all my questions answered. I don't have all of this uh, figured out. I don't, I don't know what you mean. And, and we saw people do that. I, I saw that financially this past year. I know people of you shared stories with me of saying, you know what, I never really thought about my giving before. I never really thought about how that was an act of worship. And so we really sat down and thought, okay, God, what do you want us to do? Now, what does the church need to like meet its budget? Or what does the pastor want you to give? Or anything like that. If you don't know, by the way, I have no idea what anybody gives to this church. I mean, I mean, I know what I give to this church, but I don't know what anybody else gives. It's set up like that. It's always been set up like that. I don't know. So if you're giving so that you, you think like, okay, well, if I give, then I'll get a little extra voice, you know, into, into Jay and, and what's going on with the church. You don't. You get nothing other than God's good pleasure in you, which is awesome. So I encourage you to do that. And people are doing that. Several of you have shared stories of how God has ministered to you through this past year. Where he's solidified your identity. I, I've received several texts from people who say to me, I'm walking through this and I keep reminding myself that I belong to God. That I'm his child. That is so encouraging to me. I was so encouraged that we did our faith conference this um, you know, past fall is our second one. And we just did it on, hey, we just want to equip you to study the Bible better. We just want to help give you some tools. And the, the hunger for that in that room was so encouraging. I left that day just on, on cloud nine because people were just hungry. They, they wanted to know, how do I dig into this? How do I know him better? But what's beautiful about that is we realize, look, we don't just belong to God as individuals, but we are formed as a family. So we're not just gods, but we are God's 
family, like real family, not like family, but real family, cross-generational, genuine love for one another, people with nothing else in common who love each other extravagantly. That was what was so beautiful about the early church. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How much did Christ love you? Just think about that. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And one of the marks of this church in Acts, not only did they realize their life was not their own, they were willing to give it up for anything. They were willing to sell all that they had, but they were willing to do that not only for the glory of God, but for the glory of God in their love for one another. And people marveled at that. Non-Christians thought they were weird. There are history books where people are saying, who are these weirdos who are caring for people? They care for people who aren't like them. It comes out in letters like in Galatians again, where Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. How many of you have weird people in your family that you love? Don't be shy. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're the weird one that others love. Like, let's just be honest about that. That's the reality. So we all have that. And we would say that even though if, if somebody said like, well, that's my brother, but he's, he's weird and I don't really have much in common with him. So what? It's your brother. And that's how we are in the church. One of the things I love, we, we welcomed a, a couple or a few dozen new members. I'm not even sure. I, I meant to count, but then I forgot and I got distracted. And so that's just kind of who I am. But we welcomed a lot of new members this year. And in that, one of the things I love in those new member classes is how different everybody is. We always go around at the beginning and say, so how did, when did you start coming to faith? Why did you come to faith? What's your background? And it's always so different. Some people have been coming to faith for 20 years and just finally have decided, you know what, I want to take this step and I want to be um, a, a member of this church family. And some people are like, they've been coming for just a couple, you know, just a few weeks. Some people who grew up in faithful homes that taught the, the scriptures to them week after week and other people who never heard the gospel until they were an adult. Some people who are executives at local companies and travel internationally and other people who just got out of prison and are trying to find a job and keep a job. And they come together as family. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see spiritual mothers and fathers care for spiritual children. It's a beautiful thing to see brothers and sisters care for one another and love one another. And so we are God's family, but we are not just God's family. We are sent as God's family. First Peter <clears throat> says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. See, God's belong to him for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's important to remember these are not just separate characteristics, but they are together and it's beautifully wrapped together here in, in, in 1 Peter. That they belong to God. And in that membership class, we'd say, before you walked in here, you were not a people. You, you had nothing in common. You didn't do anything together. You didn't spend time together. But now you are a people. You are a family. And just like real families, we don't act like it all the time. We don't feel like it all the time. And see, even there, I just said it, just like real families. What do I mean by that? That's a dumb thing to say. You should be confronting me about that afterwards. Like, you said real family. This is real family. Our blood families are meant to point us to God's family. It's important to remember that we are rescued and we are redeemed by God, called out of darkness into the marvelous marvelous light. We were not a people, but now we are God's people together, his family, having received mercy. And why? So that we would have a nice place to go every Sunday and then have people to go out to lunch with afterwards. (laughs) Of course not. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This has been a theme lately. Many of you right now are walking with people who are in extreme darkness. And we exist as your family to build you up so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is his mission. That's why we say we're God's family on mission to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God to make disciples who make disciples. We declare it by word. We declare that the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus. And by action, we demonstrate how the kingdom functions. Where mercy and justice reign. Where the fatherless gain fathers. Where the poor are fed and the lonely are loved. And we've seen that happen in really great ways over this past year. Our our partnership with CASA has been strengthened so that we now have this reputation with the government that we care about the orphans in our culture and in our community. And this church has always cared about that. But we're together, we're rallying together to to do that, to make more steps, to to make that clear, make that known that we care for these kids. With that, we started Welcomed. We're partnering with foster families. And if you don't know what that is, we've mentioned it a few times here and there, but you can write that. Like, you just write it on the card. Just say, like, I care about orphans. Like, I'd like to help with orphan care. Because one of those things is welcomed where we have people in our church who rally around foster families, some who are part of our church and some who are not. And we just say, look, we want to support you as you take this kid in or these kids in. And so we're going to do everything from mow your yard to, to bring you meals, to give rides to, to the kids, to, to practices, to whatever we can do. And we're seeing some really neat things happen in that. Not to mention the fact that we continue to have people ministering to those who are in prison. I love that we have people, we have so many people who get out of prison and then they come here. And they don't come here because our website is awesome. We don't come here because they listen to 10 of my sermons online. They come here because guys like Dave Ekstrom go there and share the gospel with them there. It's a beautiful thing. 
And so we declare this gospel message and we back that up and we say as a church family, we are going to do that. We want to send people out and every week we send you out into your world. And we do it more formally. This year we, we had the pleasure of sending out two missionaries. We have Archer, who was on staff here as a pastor, who is now helping churches think through how to minister to those who are in law enforcement. And then we sent out Bobby Robbins, who, after a, a playing career in the NHL and, and then just a, a journey that is just nuttier than any journey you can possibly imagine, Christ grabbed him and rescued him and saved him. And now he is working to bring Christ into that culture through FCA hockey, and we get to be a part of sending and supporting them. And those are just the obvious stories. Every week we have new people who show up on Sunday mornings, most often invited by one of you who took the time to pray for that person, to care for that person, to invite that person. If you're here this morning, and this is your first or second time or whatever, and that describes you, that somebody invited you, I just want you to know that they did that because they love you. They have no other ulterior motives, but they love you and they care about you. Those stories are happening all the time. So that is who we are and what we are called to. Being God's family on mission. And if you disagree with anything that I just said, if there's any part of that that you're like, meh, I like that, but not so much that, I just want to say as confidently and boldly and clearly as I can that you do not disagree with me, you disagree with the Bible. These things that we have talked, to, uh, talked about up to this point are non-negotiables in Scripture. It is not possible to say, yes, I belong to God, but I do not belong to his family. John says that you're a liar in that situation. That, that you actually, there's sin in you. And if you say that there's not, then, then the truth is not in you. He's saying that you can't love God and not love your brother. That, that this is not possible. You can't say, you know what, I exist for God. Yes, I belong to God and I love his family. And so I'm going to hang out with these. But I am not sent. I'm not going into darkness and bringing light there. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's not me. I don't have that gifting. That's not possible. Because our Lord Jesus commands that of us. So up to this point, we would say that every biblical church in the history of the world that has sought to be faithful to Scripture has said, this is the vine. And they word it in different ways to be sure, but this is the vine. That we belong to God. That we are formed as his family to be sent to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. And the reason I take so much time on that is because we have to constantly be reminding ourselves that that is the vine. That is why we exist. We don't exist to, to create methods or to try to enact plans. We exist to nurture the growth of the vine. And when you think about that greenhouse, you look into that and you say, okay, yeah, the vine is why all these other things exist. 
You can have the most beautiful greenhouse with all the right temperature settings and the most beautiful trellises and, and all the right strategies and everything. And you go in there and if there are no plants or there are no vines, you would say, this is a waste of space. This is ridiculous. It's a museum. It's not, it's not a greenhouse. And so we want to be about that vine. And next week, what I want to do is I want to, to talk about how we accomplish that. What does that then look like? How do we play that out? But understand that everything we do exists for the sake of the vine. And we will talk about how we, are, uh, we create these environments. They are greenhouses, in effect. That they exist to create an environment where this can grow. And then we, we respond with, with certain resources and things that serve as like trellises and, and fertilizers and things that they get in there to help and, and care in certain ways. But here's the thing. None of those things matter if we're not fully consumed and sold out on the idea of the vine. None of those things can do anything apart from the vine. John 15 talks about Jesus as the vine and that we can do nothing apart from him if we are not seeing that kind of growth. And so you need to understand that we measure everything through that. So all those things that we are excited about over the past year, we are excited because of how God is working in the lives of people. I'm hesitant to go into one other example because frankly, really what I did here was I just wrote a giant message and I was like, well, I'll see how far I can get. And I'm feeling like this is a good, this is a good pausing point. But I want to just share one more story that just made me so excited this past year. It just shows why we do the things we do and, and, and what we measure and what we get excited about. This past year, we, um, we started the Men of Faith Conference. And we didn't know what we were going to do with that. We didn't know how that was going to look. We didn't, know, we didn't know who would show up. We didn't know any of that. And a common way to measure those kinds of things is to say, okay, well, how many people showed up? And then what did they say about it when they left? That's usually the way, that's kind of the extent a lot of times of our evaluation as a, as a church. And yet those are, not, those are not vines. The people showing up and people walking away being like, well, that was fun. That's, that's not the thing. Here's the thing. In that event, a few guys got a vision, they believed that a calling from the Lord to say there are homeless men in this area who desperately need someone to teach them about Jesus. And so they said, okay. And while they're trying to figure out, one of the guys was like, you know what, I don't even know how this looks. Kind of came to me for resources. And I said, I would pray tell them about Jesus, read the Bible with them. And admittedly, they were like, that's all you got? Like, you don't have an awesome like, curriculum to like, nope, 
Got none of that. They do have the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Try that. So this guy did that. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go and start reading my Bible there. So he reads his Bible. He goes and starts going to the shelter and starts reading his Bible. Pretty soon a guy comes up. What are you doing? Reading the Bible. That's weird. Okay. You want to read it with me? Okay. He starts meeting with this guy. And then another guy. And then another guy. And then as it's happening, he's, he's connected with this gospel community. He's asking them to pray for him. He's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. This is kind of freaking me out. But you know what? I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep obeying. And then he comes up a day later, or a day later, days later, like weeks later, one day, one Sunday, he comes up to me and he says, first guy that I met with, he got baptized this weekend. That, that is vine. In both of them, in all of them. The people that were praying for him and supporting him in that, there's vine growth in them as they go, we were praying for that and look at what happened and they're strengthened. It's, it's vine growth in him as he just walked out in radical obedience to God saying, look, my life is not my own. My day off is not my own. It doesn't belong to me. My day off now belongs to the homeless shelter and I'm just gonna go there and love people and, and trust that. And the vine is growing in him and certainly in the person who was brought from death to life who before that, maybe nobody cared to share the gospel with him, but this guy did. That's vine. That makes me think, okay, so this is serving a purpose. Like this is a catalyst for something bigger. Just incredible things, guys. And it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit stuff. All right, I'll give you one more example. I just get so excited. I brainstormed all these things. And I'm like, Jay, if you talk about all these things, you're going to get everybody upset with you because we are going to go into kickoff. All right? But here's, a, here's another one that just, it just is so exciting because of the things that you think like, okay, well, I guess the thing was the event. No, it wasn't. It's what comes out of that. And as you see that momentum, our job as ministry leaders is to watch that and observe it and to say, is this working? It's like a, the, the, the gardener who goes through the greenhouse and says, okay, I get it that this was a great idea, but this doesn't seem to be producing what we want. And we say, okay, well, I trust you because you know, you're, you're watching this and this is kind of your area of expertise. And so we'll, let's try something else. And so our job is to constantly be watching and saying, is the vine growing? And one of the things that we, we tried was my, my dear wife took the courageous step of saying, you know, we're not going to do the Christmas tea this year. And it was met with thunderous applause. <laughs> I joke. But she's like, I, I want to see people look around and just open up their own homes and, and share the gospel with people. And so she created these little kits and said, here, you, you can do a Christmas tea and, and invite people that you know, invite them to your home and share. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be, but just here's some helps to do that. It's not the program. Like, who cares? You could do that. And, and a lot of people pick those up. We had a lot of people participate, but what comes out of it? And one of the things that came out of it was this past Christmas. So this is the second Christmas that we've done it. And last Christmas, a, a young woman in our church went to one, somebody else's. She was invited to someone else's little tea. And she thought it was great. And this year, she felt like, I should do one. And so she decided that she was going to, she stepped out in faith and grabbed a kit. 
And then she did what, what Lauren had instructed her to do. Just pray about who God would have you invite. Pray. Ask him. Ask him. And so she did. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And so, who, God, who do you want me to invite? And she came up with a list of people. And she was super excited. And she went out and she invited all those people. And one night, I'm sitting with Lauren and she gets a text from this person saying, every single person I invited to the tea said no. And then the saddest of sad emoji faces. And you think, oh, man. So Lauren is heartbroken with her, and she starts trying to come up with a text, and she's looking at me, and I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm, so I'm praying, saying, okay, God, give her, give her something smart to say, because I'm like, all I got is that's a bummer. And so Lauren is crafting it, and um, sometimes I give my wife a hard time because she writes a text 17 times before she'll send one. Right, 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 delete. Right, 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 delete. Right, right. I'm like, just send it! Just two words. Um, and so she's doing that, and she's thinking, she's praying. And before she can hit send, this person sends a, another text. It says, So now I'm thinking about the man who had a party, and no one would or could come, which, by the way, is from Luke 14, the banquet, parable of the banquet. He told his servants, when everybody said no, to just go and invite anyone. I'm thinking I need to pray about who those people might be. Here I was thinking about all these different people, but I wonder if God had a totally different plan for this. And when Lauren read that text, she goes, that was better than anything I was going to (laughs) say. I said, yeah, it was. That's mine. I don't have a manual answer for that. I don't have a quick verse to cite. But when we see people grow in that understanding, and then, so she did that. She just went and invited a bunch of people. And right now, that story is unfinished because there are a few people who said yes. And there is a person in particular that through that is now saying, can we meet more regularly? I want to know more about Jesus. Guys, that's fine. That's, you cannot measure that in just saying, like, well, we had this many people show up. It's the vine. That's where there's value. And I know there are a ton more stories like that in all different walks. So that's what we're going to pursue together. That's what we've always been pursuing together. That's how this church started 40-some-odd years ago. I don't like saying how long because that's about how old I am. So that number keeps growing. But that's how the church started then and now four decades later, we're still trying to do that and trying to reorient ourselves around this vine. And so all I would say is jump in. Next week, we're going to walk through, okay, what what does that environment look like and what are our specific focuses coming up? I am really excited about that. And I hope that you all will, will be here and, and that we can kind of rally around these things together because I think God is going to do some really incredible things. And no, I'm not doing any clever 2020 vision or anything like that. I'm, I'm not that clever. I'm not that good of a marketer. I just want to say, here's the vine. This is what we've given our lives to. Let's be his family together on mission and see what he does. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
God, I just want to thank you right now for all the stories that are in this room that I don't know about. Because I know they are all over. Because I know that there are people, God, in this room who have walked through unimaginable circumstances over this last year and have found, God, that you are more than enough. I know that there are people in this room who a year ago would have never thought they would be in this room because you have worked in their lives and through people who love them. I know, God, that there are people in this room that right now have been called to minister to people in very hard circumstances and they feel in over their heads. And what I know, God, is in this room, there is story after story after story of your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your power. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts, even as we sing this response song, that we would remember over the last year all that you have done. That you would remind us of how you have shaped us, of how we are not where we were a year ago, and how a year from now, we, God willing, we will not be where we are now. God, how amazing that you would call us your people, that you would form us together as a family, that you would send us on this mission that has eternal consequences, that has eternal fruit, that has eternal reward. Something that matters for all eternity. God, I pray for this church that when we read the book of Acts, we would say, yes, amen. God, please don't let us settle for something less. I pray this in Jesus' name.